listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's always a great response. How you doing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I get it. Um, well, we are in a sermon series called Little Things, um, and it's been a phenomenal sermon series, and I have the opportunity to continue it today. And today we're going to be talking all about how we, re- how we react and why it's important, all right? And so as we talk about that, I was, I was going through this because it's important because it affects our spouse, it affects our kids, it affects the close people that we have in proximity to us. It affects those, those close friendships, right? And, and so I had a situation with my daughters, right? Um, Allie specifically, she has a little bit of a, a justice streak in her where she, if she doesn't deem that it's fair, she's going to let you know, right? And anybody that has been a parent of a toddler, it's like, I set the rules. I don't like... I appreciate it, but I don't really care. Like, I just need you to, sh- you know, like just sh- zip it and let's move forward, right? And so, well, like, I forget what they were doing, but Ava and Allie were out in the living room. They were jumping on the furniture. Like, they're not supposed to be jumping on the furniture. They're not supposed to be messing with that kind of stuff. And so I go out there to be like, hey, don't jump on the furniture. And as I'm telling them and correcting them, Allie's like, but dad, but dad, but dad, and getting louder over what I'm trying to say, and um, I don't know if you know this about me or not, but uh, if I'm talking, I don't like to be interrupted, and especially when it's by my five-year-old, and so my five-year-old is like, but dad, but dad, I'm like, Allie, and she's like, but dad, and in that moment, I had the opportunity for one of two reactions. My natural reaction was to give her the old two-piece and be like, it's a done deal, right? And, and obviously, that you, you can't give a five-year-old a two-piece. Like, that's not okay, all right? And so um, the other opportunity to react was to take a deep breath and walk her through this moment and try to, to, try to develop her into who she is supposed to be, because that justice in her is there for a purpose, and if I squash it and kill it, then whatever God wants her to do won't be done on this earth, because I've I've taken something that God has has gifted her in, and given her a natural ability to see things, and I've squashed it instead of developed it into the right thing, right? Because children, even some adults, like we have our, our rough edges where there's something in us that needs to be smoothed out so that it can go through a a proper process of development so we can move forward and complete the purpose that God has for us. And so that decision, I was able, in that decision, I was not only able to to develop her, but I was able to continue my development as well because I made the decision to not react out of anger or frustration, but to use self-control, take a deep breath, and move forward and not throw a kid through a window, okay? Um, and so, so um, you laugh, but I have stories. Um, and so how we react is fundamental to our developmental process, okay? It's, it's fundamental to our development as people. Development here at Freedom Church is our focus. It's one of our core values on the wall. It's our focus. Why is that our focus? Because your development as an individual is important for you to fulfill the purpose that God has for you. And development isn't something that you, you, you climb to the mountaintop and, a, and achieve and it's done. No, like you're being developed until the day that you die. Until the day God calls you home, like you're, there's always something we're trying to, to make a 1% progress on each day before we go to sleep. And so that's, that's one of the issues with development is is people will overstimulate themselves with all the things that they need to develop in their lives. They'll think through, oh, I've got to fix this, I've got to fix this, and they begin going down the list of what they need to fix instead of focusing on, okay, was I 1% better today than I was yesterday? 
Okay, yesterday I had six situations where I lost my cool. Today I had five. Like, that's progress. Focus on the progress, right? And because how we react is fundamental to our developmental process. Everything at Freedom Church is designed to get you in purpose moments so God can work in you and through you. We want to see you take potential and turn it into purpose. That's why development is our focus, is because there's potential in us. Ephesians 2.10 says that we're his workmanship and he's put good works in us for us to walk out. It's one of my favorite scriptures. But those good works in you won't ever be walked out if you aren't willing to lay down the things keeping you from the good works. We, we have to develop the bad habits and bad things and, and, and the things that take away from God purpose in us out of us. We have to get, those, get rid of those things. But here's the issue, though. Most people's reaction to development is that, okay, I've developed. I've taken some steps. I've moved forward. Shouldn't the people around me be happy with that? Right? Like, okay, for example, your husband and wife, husband, we'll, we'll use me and my wife as an example. I, my whole life, I've, I've struggled with uh, keeping my cool, okay? And if something happens and I don't keep my cool, this happened just the other day while we were packing to move to Liberty, um, something happened, a light broke, busted, glass went all on the carpet, and I was furious, okay? Um, and uh, I was so upset, and I just I went into the room, and, and like I wasn't like mad at anybody, I was just mad about the situation, and I was expressing that to her and and even in that moment like I was energetic and very agitated and I was like I was like I'm not mad at you but I just need to get this out of my head so I can get back to work you know like it was just like in that moment so we laugh about these things but honestly that is a like in my mind that is a better reaction than what I've had in the past because in the past that would completely ruin my entire day, and I'd be mad over a light bulb breaking, and it would ruin all the progress I wanted to make that day, yeah. right? And so now I can say, oh, man, that's great. But then on the flip side, after I got out of my, our bedroom at the house and I went back into the living room, both my daughters were crying on the couch because I had lost my cool. And so, like, in the moment, I'm like, all right, I'm not... I'm not mad at anybody, and I'm getting past this. And then as soon as I get past it, I walk out and see the shortcomings of even that. Right? And so, yes, people should recognize your development, especially the people that have been there for the process of your development. They should definitely recognize your development. Right? That's okay that they recognize it. But they should also hold you accountable that you don't stop developing just because your reactions are better than they used to be. The people that have gotten to know you since the change, they should see you develop too, right? So the change happened, you developed, you moved forward, and then you got new friends. Guess why you got new friends? Because you changed, and you weren't an angry jerk all the time. And so you attracted more people to your life, right? That, that's what happens. And so these new people, though, they are going to have the same expectation that you continue to develop. They don't know all of the story behind why, why how you're reacting now is better than it used to be. Because honestly, they probably are like, great, but how you're reacting now, it still isn't the best. So let's keep moving that process forward. Relationships that allow you to stay where you're at aren't, aren't relationships you should desire to be in. You should always have a relationship that's pushing you forward and, and, and moving you closer to God and expecting you to do what is necessary to grow in God's purpose for you. Because your development is a continual, continuous process and that development is for you and others. Your development is for you and others. The development that has taken place is a reminder that you can grow and overcome. See, because sometimes, for some of us, the, the first step into development is really hard. Well, what if they reject me? What if they don't like what they see in this process? Because in order to develop, you have to be really, really honest with who you are. 
What if they don't like what, what they see? What if, what if they reject me because they see this stuff, right? And that like, goes through our head. But you take that step and you start getting developed and you start moving forward and you're like, oh man, I can do this. And then the development that will take place, the development that happens tomorrow, right? That is to encourage the other people around you that they can start development too. Because say you were an alcoholic, say you were a drug addict, say you were addicted to pornography, whatever it is, right? That process that you go through to take the 1% step every day to get away from those things, to have accountability in your life, to pray, read the scriptures, to really dig into the spirit of God, to walk away from those things, that process is an encouragement for somebody who is still bound to those things. That's your testimony that you get to share with them. And so your process of development becomes your testimony that you get to share with people to encourage them so that they get out of those things as well. The hard work you've done becomes a, a bridge to freedom for someone else. So how does this tie into how we react? Why is this important in and how we react. So here's the little, little thing for today. It's never the action, but the reaction that makes the difference. It's never the action, but the reaction that makes the difference. The reason why this ties into how we react is for us to realize that us developing today for the decision tomorrow is just as important as the development that has already happened, right? We have to think about, okay, I'm, this decision that I'm making right now impacts my tomorrow. So if I decide to put this off, that means I have to deal with it tomorrow. If I decide to embrace it right now, that means tomorrow I have to, I'm not going to struggle as much with it. And so are you willing to do the hard thing right now so it's less hard tomorrow, or are you going to put off the hard thing today so it's harder tomorrow? Our reactions are essential to our role in kingdom building. Zig Ziglar said, it's not the situation, but whether we react negative or respond positive to the situation, that's important. Our reactions are everything. It's not the person's actions, but our reactions that separates if we have a good day or a bad day. See, I used to drive off of the Beltway and uh, 45 every day for work. And I would have to sit in traffic and all this stuff. And there would be days where somebody, you know, I, w I was big on like if you merge, like you wait your turn, you don't do the whole like cutsy thing, right? And that person, it was the same white F-250 every day, <laughs> right? I still remember it, same white F-250 every day. They would do the same thing. And one day it really got under my skin because they almost took me off the road to make sure that they could get their spot. And it ruined my whole day. Like, I went home mad about it. That happened at like 6 a.m. It was 6 p.m. getting home. Right? Our reactions are everything. It's not the person's action, but our, reaction, our reaction that separates if we have a good day or a bad day. You're letting some random person control the outcome of your day. Because we aren't controlling our reactions. Our reactions are exponentially more powerful than the action. For example, in Rwanda, when the genocide took place in 1993, our church is heavily connected with Rwanda. Um, it, it was some of the worst, the worst stuff you could imagine to happen in humanity. Matt and I walked through the Genocide Museum together, and it was, it was tough. But that nation, there was an opportunity when, when that all came to, to an end, there was an opportunity for fast, swift, and vengeful justice. It wasn't just going to be justice, but they could have had vengeful justice where they poured out every ounce of wrath that they had in them on these people. But they didn't. 
They chose what they call gachacha. They were willing to show mercy on those that were willing to be repentant. That those that said, I was wrong, I got swept up in something I shouldn't have, I harmed my brothers, I harmed my nation, I harmed the people around me, and I don't deserve your mercy. They were willing to show mercy too. This reaction was one that saved the nation from falling into complete ruin and allowed Rwanda to move forward and rebuild stronger. Today, with the way the nation functions, you would never know. If you didn't know the history and you just went in, you would never know. It's beautiful. The, the scriptures talk about this, that soft answer turns away wrath. Love covers a multitude of sin. Treat others how you want to be treated. The scriptures talk about this. See, but the issue is, is most people aren't stunted in their growth because of evil actions done to them, but ungodly reactions as a response. We've been put in situations I'm, I, I've been put in situations where because of who I was, someone assumed something of me and treated me poorly. And that action reached down and tried to make me react ungodly. But because I was developed and these things were pushed out of me, I was able to stand on the truth of who God is and not react that way. Our reactions are intended by God to bring restoration, but you are robbed of that opportunity when you allow your reactions to flow from justice, revenge, or selfishness. We can't allow our thought processes to be swayed by justice, revenge, and selfishness. We have to let them be controlled and ordained by the kingdom of God. So how do you react when you mess up? Are you beating yourself up, putting distance between you and God? Or feel so stuck in that issue that you believe that this is the best you can do? I'm never... I'm, I said it. I said it yesterday, actually. So, like, one of the things that that I have a hard time with is self control with food, okay? Um, and that's that's a sin, <laughs> all right. And so, it's it's one of the things that I'm working on. And yesterday, my my mother in law made homemade cinnamon rolls, and they are delicious. And I ate one. And I t Alexis was in the kitchen with me, and I go, gosh, I'm never going to be a skinny man. <laughs> and, and like we joke about it, but that's the kind of mindset we get when it comes to self-control issues that we really need to deal with. Man, I'm never going to be good with money. I'm, I'm never going to get over this sin issue. This is just who I am. Do you stay in the frustration or do you get up? How do you react when your enemy, someone that's done you wrong, has problems? Do you celebrate those problems? Or do you show them grace and pray for them? Proverbs 24, 16 through 18 says this, For the righteous fall seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. So that means the righteous, even though you fall down, you can fall down eight times between your chair and your car on your way out, but as long as you're getting back up and pursuing God and trying to move forward and stick through the development, have the hard conversations, do what you need to do, as long as you do that and get back up, you're good. You're still righteous. But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. 17, do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased, and turn away in his anger from him. So the justice you so bad, badly want your enemy to have, he's having it, and then you celebrate, and God's like, ah, never mind. We have to be careful that we're not seeking out vengeance just because 
of the justice inside of us. That's an ungodly reaction. How do you react when sin is knocking on your front door? 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will, ne- he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But the temptation, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In church growing up, I've heard it a lot in my life where it's, it says, uh, the pastors and encouragers and all these people say, God won't give you anything that you can't handle. I don't agree with that. False. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says he won't give you a temptation you can't endure. You'll still, you'll have to endure the temptation, but he'll give you a way of escape. But sometimes he gives you situations that will break you because something in you needs to break so you realize you need him. That's okay. Because that weakness is identified and then you're like, oh, need God here. Didn't know it. Right? It's okay. But how we react is important. How do you react when when the situation breaks you? Do you blame God or do you embrace him? How we react in the difference of uh, moments of life matters. This is one of the reasons that leadership books, self-improvement books, businesses, and other teachers, gurus, whatever you want to call them, talk about the importance of knowing how you're going to react before the situation happens. Our reaction is an important part of the battle. But in that battle, you have to know there's things that influence your reactions. And so you have to deal with the influences of your reactions so you can react properly. And so there's three influences of reaction. Number one, the past. The past will cause you to overreact to hurts, fears, or traumas that haven't been processed in a healthy manner. A few months ago, Alexis and I, we were in a car accident, and I got hit from the left side. And what if I, the rest of my days driving, what if, what if the only thing I was concerned about was everything that happened on the left side of the car? What would happen? More than likely, I'd get hit on the right side of the car. But that's what we do as people. We'll react in a way and have a bad situation or a hurt or a trauma, and then we swing the pendulum to the extreme so we make sure that that situation doesn't happen again, but it opens up the door for the enemy over here. And so we have to deal with these things. You can't leave them undealt with. Hurts will lead us to overreact to a healthy behavior that was misused by an unhealthy person in the past. For example, in a past relationship, a leader would correct me about anything he thought I needed to change and develop in. This, is in, this in and of itself was okay because I'd given him permission to do so. The issue came when it turned into public shaming, being held accountable for decisions I didn't make, and be- becoming the fall guy. Like, he couldn't take the responsibility, so he shucked it off on me. And so now, because of that, as a person, I'm having to deal with some of that because I've realized that I will, unless like I connect with somebody on like a 10 out of 10 from the first time I meet them, there's a long process for them to get involved in my life because I hold everybody back because of a past hurt that I'm still working through. See, if I don't deal with this, I could easily react to every development moment as a slight. If Pastor Jason came to me, it was like, hey man, you got to work on this, this, and this. That's not how the conversation would go. It would be much more like soft and strategic. But still, if he came to me and we, we had a conversation and he was like, the, the end goal was to realize that I needed to work on a few things. And we had that conversation. If I held him accountable for the past sins of somebody else, I'd have a terrible relationship with him. But that's what we do. It's too easy to treat a new friend like an old enemy if we allow the past to drive our actions. Number two, present circumstances. Have you ever been struggling in an area of your life and as you're struggling you have a friend that has a win in that area? For example, say you're struggling with finances and and one of your best friends gets a promotion 
gets a new job, has more money. What the enemy will do in that situation is they will come, he will come in like a wolf in sheep's clothing and be like, why, God, why doesn't God do that for you? Does he not love you the, the way he loves this person? Does he not care for you the way he cares for this person? And we'll become blinded by the present circumstance. Our present circumstances can keep us from pursuing God because we don't feel heard. We don't like the current answer. Or we would have to deal with, past, with a past hurt that's impacting the current situations. If we aren't careful, we will let a temporary circumstance in the physical have a permanent spiritual impact in the future. We can't let the physical drive the spiritual. We have to let the spiritual drive the physical. Number three, blind spots. In blind spots, I think, is the most difficult influence to deal with simply because we don't know they're there. We have to be accepting of somebody else telling us we have a blind spot. And I don't know about you, but there's nothing greater than having your five and six-year-old daughter tell you about a blind spot you didn't know you had. You're like, oh, that was a harsh truth. Let me go cry in my closet. <laughs> you know, like, and, and it's so funny how your kids work is like, they're just so honest and sweet and they love you so much. And they'll just say something, not meaning anything. And it's like, that has a deep internal impact on me. <laughs> you know, and so, uh, and so a blind spot can be an environment you were raised in. Maybe you were raised in an environment where lying and lying 100% of the time was absolutely okay. And lying was a, a survival mechanism that you had to have to be able to adapt in a situation so people would like you. My wife looking at me. Maybe it's a generational curse that you don't know you're walking in. Because you're the first one in your family that's really willing to deal with it. Maybe it's a soul tie that has to be broken. Because you attached yourself to, to somebody on a, on a spiritual level and you haven't broken that yet. So their decisions are still impacting you. Or, and I don't mean to be mean here, but maybe it's just dumb decision making. Like, I'm not trying to be mean or aggressive here, but sometimes we get the spirit of stupid and we just don't make good decisions. <laughs> All right? Like, we, we have to be willing to acknowledge, we have to be willing to acknowledge that if I have not succeeded in budgeting for myself this far in life, I should probably meet with somebody that's better at it than I am. If I haven't succeeded in managing my anger this far in life, I should probably meet with a counselor to figure out what's going on underneath it. Sometimes it's our laziness that keeps us in a place where we allow ignorance to run rampant. Because we don't want to do the hard thing today so we push it off until tomorrow, and it becomes harder and harder and harder. And then eventually you pass it down to your kids, and now they have to deal with it. But any hard thing you're willing to take to the cross, your kids won't have to deal with. This is why it's so important to have people who can speak into your life. Pastor Jason spoke about this a few weeks ago when he talked about the blind spots, right? He talked about the, the eyes and how they come together to create a whole image, right? Well, he said that you're one eye and your, your squad's the other eye. If you don't have your squad, you're going around in life looking through one eye. And that one eye is always going to be right because you don't have anything else to complete the picture. You have to have a few key people that can look at you and be like, you're lying to me. What's going on? They have to know you, know God, love you, love God, and have your best interest in mind. And when you come together, you get a complete picture. Understanding these influences 
Understand these influences on your reaction is important because the enemy is trying to get you to lose. So if he can shape your reaction through one of these influences, he's going to. An important part of mastering your reaction is to know who you are. So first off, you're a son and a daughter of God. Galatians 4, 4-7 through 7 says that, you know, God came down, he sent, or God sent his son, born of a one, woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are a son, God has sent the spirit of his son into our, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so we're no longer a slave, but a son. Right? So a simple question to pin down our predetermined reaction would be, how does Jesus respond to this? If it's his spirit in us crying out, Abba, Father, how would Jesus respond to this? Even though he's angry, how would he respond to this? Another thing is you're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Knowing that we are a new creation and the old has passed away, we get to determine that in each situation, we're going to react out of our new nature. That new nature comes with the ability to walk in the freedom of Christ. We are not bound to the old chains. We get to fight from freedom, not for it. What does this look like? This means that when temptation is running at us, we can easily choose faithfulness to see God become the strength in our weakness in that situation. This is why baptism is such a big step to take in your walk with God. Baptism is a physical representation of a spiritual work in your life. You're you're bearing the old nature, meaning the old nature no longer has authority over you. And then another thing, you're you're an ambassador. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-21 says, All this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you go to another nation in the world and you go to the United States embassy there, there will be an ambassador in that country for the United States. And in that building, there will be a picture of our sitting president on the wall because that ambassador in that embassy is a representation of the United States in the other country. So when you walk on the soil, it's United States soil. Like it's United States there, right? And they're acting on behalf of the president and, and our country in that country. It's the same thing with us. We are the ambassadors for the kingdom of God on this earth and have been directed to carry out the work of reconciliation. How can we complete that work if we are misrepresenting God in our daily actions? So say you're on your way to church. You're in the river bottom on the way through Dayton. Come to Liberty, right? Somebody cuts you off. You get back around them, you wave your hands at them, you're looking at them all angry, and then they get behind another car, so you go bottleneck so they can't get around. And then, and then finally, they get around you, and you get around them, and then you both turn into the church parking lot. <laughs> and then you get here, and you're both embarrassed because you're like, oh, that was my brother in Christ, yay. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> and you both have some regrets in the moment because you were acting out of, oh, this is just a random person. It doesn't matter what they think of me. But, but according to 2 Corinthians 5, it does matter because we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So everywhere we go, we're a representation of God on this earth. So everywhere we step, we're taking the kingdom with us, not trying to find the kingdom. So we have to make sure our reactions are in check. So how do we do that? We have to operate in a kingdom mindset from the jump. But we do that through 
making proactive decisions on how we're going to react. How do we proactively decide what our reactions are going to be? Well, number one, put the kingdom first. Your decision to build the kingdom or defend yourself will determine if you build a bridge or burn it. How do we hold people accountable but don't crush their potential? That, that's a delicate conversation in the church because it's like either we crush their potential because we're holding them accountable or we allow their potential to grow but we never hold them accountable because people are, are sensitive and, and they have a hard time with it. Well, it's a lot like disciplining our kids. We discipline our kids out of a set rule that's already in motion, not just when we're irritated or frustrated. So in your relationships, you have to have set boundaries, set rules in how the relationship is going to be. You don't go from first date to marriage in two days. Like you, you gotta, you gotta make sure that you're taking time to get to know the people to make sure you want this this, this person to be somebody speaking into your life. You want to make sure that they have wisdom, and their wise counsel. Because truth without grace, you dry up. Grace without truth, you blow up. And truth and grace, you grow up. Truth without grace, you dry up because all you're focused on is the facts. There is no wiggle room. Grace without truth, you blow up because no matter what's going on, it's grace and mercy and everything's cool and there's no truth there, so there's no foundation to be rooted in. In truth and grace, you grow up because it's the perfect balance for you to be able to grow and develop. We put the kingdom first by giving both truth and grace, and when we do this, we make a way for restoration to happen. Truth alone leads to broken relationships. Grace alone leads to compromised relationships, but truth and grace lead to restoration. Restoration is a foundational kingdom principle in everything we should be looking for in everything, we should be looking for moments of restoration to take place. Restoration isn't about you as an individual. It's about the kingdom. When we look at restoration in the Bible, we see that every time restoration happens, it's to bring glory to God and magnify who he is. So are you okay with doing the work of restoration, even if you don't get the fruit of restoration? Because that's our obligation as ambassadors we're supposed to carry that ministry of reconciliation wherever we go. So it's our obligation to do the work, not see the fruit. The fruit is a good benefit if it all works out. But we have to put the work in. We have to be willing to do the work. You won't be able to see restoration played out in your life if you're more concerned with justice and balancing the scales between you and other individuals. If you're worried about your justice, then you're focused on building your castle and not the kingdom. God has placed you around people in your life for a purpose. So everything we do needs to point back to him. Remember, we are ambassadors for the kingdom that has been given the ministry of reconciliation. So if we're experiencing things break in our life, then we need to pause and reorient around the kingdom and ask God to show us what we aren't seeing so we can provide opportunities for restoration. Relationships are hard enough, and they're even harder when you act out of justice instead of God's presence. So what does it mean to put the kingdom forward? You treat them based on the potential of who God wants them to be, not based on their current shortcomings. In relationships or moments where it's unfair, you take the time to gain wisdom and counsel from your squad. Take the time to make sure that you're treating them as a, the person as a son or daughter of God and then engage. There's a quote from a show that I really love. It says, I hope that either all of us or none of us are judged by the actions of our weakest moments, but rather by the strength we show when and if we're given a second chance. It's, more, it's a more peaceful life to treat people based, on, based off the best version they could be rather than to consistently look for how they're going to disappoint you. Number two, react out of your core values. We all have a set of core values. Some of us have them written down. Some of, them, some of us, it's just internal and natural in how we live. But we see this in our schedules and priorities and attention. In our family, honesty is a big core value. 
We, we grew up in environments where either we were covering for parents, grandparents, whatever, like, like, or we were just in a situation where we felt we had to cover for ourselves and defend ourselves because we didn't want bad things to happen to us, right? And so lying was something that was kind of ingrained in us at an early age. And so honesty is a super big core value for us. And um, we, so much so that we want to be honest in our relationships, finances, and mindset. Everybody, we try to be as honest as possible with to a fault. Like, I would rather be ov- overly honest than, like, make you think I'm lying about anything. And this is one of the things that Alexis and I have worked really hard on. And so anytime I say something and it doesn't happen how my youngest, well, not my youngest daughter, my middle daughter now, gosh, I'm still getting used to that, how Allie thinks it's supposed to go, she'll say, Daddy, you lied. You know who you're being like? The devil. <laughs> so the reason why she says that, though, is because whenever they said a lie or lied or whatever, I would sit them down and be like, hey, so we want to be like God. God tells the truth. We don't want to lie because Satan's the father of lies. So if you lie, you're being like the devil, you know, like, because I'm trying to get them to understand. It's like, we're not trying to check something off the checklist. We're trying to walk out the characteristic of God, right? Like there's a difference in your kids, like, because it will become situational if you don't show them it's the characteristic of God. And so it reminded me that the more intentional I am in teaching my kids foundational truth, the more likely they're going to think about, uh, think about it in their lives and make decisions around those truths. And in my family, I want a culture that we are all held accountable to the same rules. I want my five-year-old to be able to be like, Daddy, that's not okay. And me have to hold that and hold that accountability and be repentant to my daughters, right? I want to hold that in my family. I find that that's super important because it's not cool for me to be like, we're mom and dad, we get to do what we want, and your kids, you better obey. That's not okay. So whatever I tell them to do, I have to be willing to do myself. When you take the time to define your core values, then you have the support of them when you go to react, now, it takes practice, intentionality, and accountability to make sure you're, you use your core values when you react, but having those core values can help you in that moment where your anger is at a level 10, you can step back and be like, okay, these are my predefined answers. Let me go with these first, right? And for example, here at Freedom, we have our core values on the wall right out here. Jesus is our message. People are our priority. Development is our focus. Unity is our, per- is our pursuit. Team is our structure. Excellence is our standard. Generosity is our privilege. These core values drive everything we do as a church. How we set the lights up on Sunday morning. The type of sound we use. Like, everything is derived from these right here. How can we do these things? Right? And so even they drive our, our actions and reactions. There have been moments where I've been talking w- with Pastor Jason. I'm like, hey, I think I'm going to do this. And he'll be like, people are a priority, Tony. People are a priority. Right? Okay, let me rework how I'm going to handle this situation. Because he is making sure that we are, are doing the best to protect the culture that we're building here. And that's what you're doing when you predetermine your core values and you react out of them is you're protecting the culture of the kingdom. You're protecting the culture of the kingdom and that's super important. So take time and determine your core values so you have a set standard you can operate from. Our core values should point to the kingdom first in our lives So take some time and look at at things, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, all that. It will show, show and tell you a lot about what you value. Number three, choose the benefit of the doubt. Proverbs 17, 9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Proverbs 19, 11, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it's his glory to overlook an offense. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against you, against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So here's a quick test if you give the benefit of the doubt or not. Is it always the other driver's fault? 
when your spouse has a tone when they speak to you, do you think they need to chill out or you ask them, are they okay? Because I'm saying, like, if I say, hey, babe, can you do this? And she's like, in a minute, like, and she's in the kitchen, I'm like, whoa, who you talk to like that? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that's, my, that, that, that's my initial reaction a lot of the time. It's not like, what's going on? Are you okay? Like, what, are, what do you need help with? And, and so giving people the benefit of the doubt, it shifts how you respond to their reaction. Because that's just as important. Are people always out to get you? See, this is where we need to remember the influences of reaction. Are those influences from yesterday driving your reaction today? Are those influences driving your actions today? Choosing the benefit of the doubt is choosing to give grace to the known or unknown person that you wish you would have been given. You're choosing to give grace that you wish was given to you. So when somebody really hurts you, you choose to give grace that you wish that that person would have given you. That's, that's next level Christianity. That's not like, yay, summer camp Jesus. You know, like this is, this is like walking it out every day, choosing the kingdom first. Because we're ambassadors of the kingdom, it's our obligation to walk in the spirit of God to show people the grace and mercy that he's shown to us. When we react harshly or out of frustration, we are more in line with the reaction of the enemy because we begin to, to accuse others. I've been through a lot of issues with my family, issues where I've been the one that hurt someone and have been hurt. In those moments when I begin to feel like someone is coming at me, like, right? Like, if I, I have one of my siblings coming at me, or my mom coming at me, or my cousin, or whatever coming at me, I have two choices running at me faithfulness to God or faithfulness to my desire. In that moment, I need to have my reaction predetermined that I'm going to use self control, that I'm going to extend grace, and that I'm going to view the person through a lens of their potential. Otherwise, I refuse to give them the benefit of the doubt, and I show that my deepest internal motive is selfish instead of focused on the kingdom. Now, that's a little harsh, so let me break it down. I'm not talking about an initial reaction here where it's like, oh man, why are you talking to me like that? What I am talking about, though, is that opportunity where the initial reaction turns into your motivation for action. Because we're going, we are going to face moments where there is injustice, and we will recognize it as such, but we have to be able to put all of that into the perspective that the person we are dealing with is a soul that needs to encounter the goodness of God. If somebody's coming at me harshly, before I react, I have to remind myself, this is somebody that needs God. This is somebody that needs, needs God just as much as I do. This is somebody that needs grace just as much as I do. This is somebody that needs forgiveness just as much as I do. And it will change how you treat them. Because your ministry of reconciliation and being an ambassador will give them an opportunity to see the goodness of God laid out on this earth. And I don't know about you, but I would love to see more of the goodness of God laid out in my day-to-day -day life. But it's up to us to choose to react that way. Our goal in reactions isn't to limit the feelings we are processing, but to allow God and his lordship to guide us so that we're always reacting out of his spirit. So when we choose to react out of injustice and give the person a piece of our mind when it's unnecessary, then we're choosing selfishness. Because there's always that moment, according to 1 Corinthians 10.13, there's a moment where we get to choose faithfulness or the sin. Are we going to buckle under the weight of temptation or allow the strength of Christ and our weakness to show through. The goal with controlling our reactions is to reflect God and be the light of the world. So today you might be in a place where you're reacting, where you're not reacting out of a kingdom focus. That's okay. Everyone is working on it. 
So today I want to give you an opportunity to encounter God down at the altar, to engage with him, pray and ask that he would break any influences of your, of your reaction. Those influence, those influences, right? The past, present circumstances, blind spots, that he would come in and identify any blind spots you have, that he would come in and show you that the present circumstances are being misconstrued by the enemy, or that the past that you've, you've stuffed emotionally instead of dealing with, instead of wrestling with, instead of giving to God. So I want to give you an opportunity to engage with him and pray and ask that he would break any of those influences. Today we need to encounter his lordship. We need him to take priority in our life and allow the kingdom to be first. We need him more than anything else. And this is a common theme within our messages is, is the lordship of Jesus and really putting him where he deserves in our life. He has to be first. Nothing else can come before him. He has to be first. So let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father God, right now, Lord, we put you first. We make you priority. God, I pray that everywhere we go in life, we would be a representation of who you are and that we'd see you and know you and be changed by you, Lord, and that others could encounter the goodness of who you are and be drawn to repentance. In Jesus' name, amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and his people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on Freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.